0: The United States may have just ushered in a new president, but it wasn't so long ago when a certain blonde man from the White House said the United States would exit the Paris Climate Agreement. He said it would be based, quote, on terms that are fairer to the United States, its business, its workers, its people, its taxpayers. Mark Delaney is a lawyer and climate change activist, a man who's been peacefully arrested on multiple occasions to try and send governments a message. And he says that shutting cooperation may bring short-term benefits, but the long-term, however, won't look so bright. And he looks to a man who lived thousands of years ago as inspiration for how to resolve such conflicts.
1: Welcome to Signs of the Times Radio.
0: It's Daniel Kobetik here again for the first Signs of the Times radio for 2021. And with me, I have an awesome guest, a guest who has inspired me in the past, and that is Mark Delaney. How are you doing, Mark? I'm doing well. Thanks, Daniel. Now, Mark, we've had you on the podcast before. One time we had you podcasting in from India, actually, most recently we've we've had you on talking about civil disobedience that was an article you wrote for us last year which to be honest like i've i've actually had quite a few people come up to me some of them even law students and say wow that that article really inspired me like it offered a a fresh perspective now at the Mm. time at the time you were you were planning a a protest and we were just talking to you before you were going to go into that so can you just tell us a little bit about what what happened next what happened after the last podcast we talked about
1: Sure, sure. Oh, well, I'm glad to hear that the uh, article went down well and it's inspired people. Thanks for that. Yeah, so when we were speaking last, I think it was last June, I was planning on another protest with a number of friends and colleagues at the Refugee Detention Centre in Brisbane. Now, your listeners might be aware that there's uh, two, what they call hotel detention places in Australia, one's in Melbourne and one's in Brisbane, and a number of refugees, about 100 of them, are being held there in those hotels, a lot of these guys have been in detention now for eight years. It's, it's very hard to get our, our heads around that, but eight years, it's incredible. Like they're kind of biblical proportion, you know, mm. detentions, really. And these guys have committed no crime. They've fled their countries uh, to, to seek safety, and Australia has, uh, Australian government has seen fit to keep them detained for eight years. So we feel like that's a, a terrible injustice. So we protested that. The protest was good in that it was peaceful. The relationship with the police was uh, was very good. There were no arrests that day, I believe. But uh, unfortunately, and as your, your listeners will be aware, those most of those men are still in detention. So in, in that sense, it wasn't successful.
0: This is touching on, on something that you've done more often, which is activism and peacefully being arrested now. Last time when we talked to you, there were some things that struck me about what you said, which is that sometimes when you've been arrested peacefully, which obviously attracts media attention and sort of stuff which promotes the cause, that even some of the officers who arrest you agree with you. <laughs> they don't yes. let it dispute. They're, they're like totally chill about it. They just yes. they agree with you and believe in the cause too.
1: That's quite right, Daniel. So, you know, I, I have a great deal of respect for, for police officers. You know, they do a difficult job. They do a fine job and, you know, that when we're protesting and they're called to intervene, they're just doing their job. So I've got absolutely nothing against them at all. And my experience, and, and since we last spoke, I was at a, another climate protest in November last year mm-hmm. and uh, I was arrested at that one. So that was a climate-related protest. And, again, the police were excellent. You know, they were very good to deal with. So the senior sergeant came over to me. We had a good chat for maybe five minutes and uh, he he said, "Yeah, Mark, we really don't want to arrest people today. Is there some way that we can avoid doing that?" And I said, "Look, sergeant, you know, we're trying to communicate the seriousness of this matter to the management of this corporation, and I think probably the best way to do that is to have an arrest." And so he said, all right, well, we'd, I guess we'd better go ahead then, shall we? So it was a very calmly negotiated kind of arrest. And in the end, you know, there was, they didn't even lay a hand on me. They said, all right, Mark, it's time to go off. We go to the <laughs> to the uh, divvy van. And, uh, yeah, very calm, very respectful. And I think the police actually like that, you know, because they, they're used to dealing with, um, I suppose, violent and difficult situations. But when they're dealing with people who are very calm and respectful, it's a nice change for them.
0: That's so interesting like the fact that he was offering to not arrest you but it was like it's not about the arrest it's more about what message does it send that's that's a very interesting thing and look Mark you've lived a very inspiring and interesting life you you lived in an Indian slum for quite a while and and now you're working hard to to promote these issues in Australia so I, I really commend you on some of the work you've been doing obviously the civil disobedience article that That we put on our Facebook attracted a lot of attention. You know, some people disagreed with the concept. Some people agreed. So it was, it was great to get the discussion going because it's something that a lot of people haven't considered before. Just looking at the current article that you wrote for us, which is competition versus cooperation in a crisis. Very interesting article. It's actually a topic that I've been thinking about myself. And as I was going through it even more carefully recently, I was. I was just thinking about some of the ideas, and it, it just sort of linked back to some of these things that I've been thinking about quite recently. But kicking off that topic, let's just talk about the, the situation in the US, because it's, it's quite polarized in there at the moment. You know, Donald Trump came in to power with the promise that he was going to sort out America's issues at home, and that meant cutting a lot, a lot of ties with other countries. Would you say that that's a correct statement?
1: Yeah, I'd say that's largely correct, yeah.
0: So, what what did that sort of look like? What were some of the specific things that that were included in that sort of promise?
1: Well, the kinds of things that were included in that promise uh, were were two main things that I talk about uh, in the article. So, one is about climate change. So, President Trump's take on that was, look, we're only going to do something if it benefits us as a nation. Mm. We don't really care what happens to the rest of the world. We're only going to do it if it benefits us. And if we want to dig up more oil and gas, we'll do it. So he therefore left the Paris Climate Accord. Now, my take is that that's incredibly short-sighted because whilst in the short term it might benefit the US to dig up more oil and coal and gas, in the long term it's going to be terrible not just for the U.S., but for the whole world. As you know, greenhouse gases increase and climate change ramps up. It's going to affect everyone. So it's a very, very short-sighted attitude. And that's my argument: is that often when we decide to compete with other people, you know, we might get a benefit in the short term, but in the long term, it, it actually harms us. So that's one area where President Trump and I decided to compete with others rather than cooperate. And the other one, of of course, was COVID. So, you know, he did outrageous things like, you know, there were commercial contracts for face masks to be exported to to Germany. He cancelled that uh, commercial contract to keep the face masks in the US. He exited the World Health Organization. So, again, there's this sense of competition. We're only going to do things that benefit us, but short-term gain, long-term loss. And as we look back now on how COVID affected the US, you know, it's one of the worst, well, by far, the highest death rate anywhere in the world. And it's it's just performed really, really badly.
0: It's interesting because I remember when Donald Trump won the election back in 2016. It was a very interesting day. It caught a lot of people by surprise. And I remember watching a panel of experts analysing how this situation came about. And one of them, they started talking about, okay, well, what happens now? Well, one of them one of the experts said, okay, well, I think Donald Trump is going to just sort of start sorting out the issues back at home and sort of slow down with America's contributions elsewhere. Now, a lot of Donald Trump's followers or a lot of people would say that that's a good thing because, you know, there's, there's a lot of issues as far as economically that need to be sorted out. And first of all, you know, we need to sort out our issues at home before we help anyone else out. Do you think that sort of mentality is justified or do you think that there's something fundamentally wrong with that?
1: I I certainly think there's something fundamentally wrong with that. Uh, And I say that uh, as, uh, well, just as a a human and also as a follower of Jesus. Hmm. So, I think, you know, a fundamental issue that Jesus addresses in the gospel is, are you just going to look after yourself be selfish, accumulate wealth and status and so forth, or are you going to look at people outside of yourself and to care for them? It's an absolutely fundamental issue to Jesus' message. Now, what President Trump is doing is saying we will only look within at ourselves and we will feather our own nest and we don't care what happens anywhere else. And so I'd say that is fundamentally anti-gospel, and in our own lives, I think we have these same questions. You know, you could say, oh, you know, before you help anyone else, you should, you know, should look after your own family. Well, you know, you might take the analogy of, okay, we're sitting here and, yes, we might be struggling with that to keep our finances together and so forth, but we've got lots of hungry people around us or homely, homeless people around us. Are we going to say we're not going to do anything for those homeless people until we get our finances totally in order, mm. absolutely straight? Well, I think Jesus would say, no, No, you've got to, yes, look at yourself and your own family, but you've got to look around you and have this cooperative mindset to the society around you.
0: Mm. Mark, it sounds like this concept that you're suggesting, which starts at a very personal level, it changes everything. Because I think back to a lot of things that I, I see my friends post on social media, along the the lines of self-help or self-healing and that sort of stuff, which basically goes along the the lines that, you know, I've been helping out people or I've been devoting so much of my time and attention to other people. Now I'm going to just dial back on all of that and just focus on me so that I get myself up to speed. Mm. This is the way a lot of people feel, but it is a balance, isn't it? Because it's not just about, oh, I need to keep my sort of things in order. It's like, we're on this earth to, to serve, aren't we?
1: We are, absolutely. Uh, and so it's about what what's the purpose of life, really? You know, is the purpose of life for me to lead a, a happy, calm kind of life? Or and, and I would say, no, that is not the purpose of life. The purpose of life is, yes, to care for yourself, but so that you can care for others. So just like God said to Abraham, you know, I'm going to bless you so that you can bless others. Now, if you stop short at the first part and just say, you know, I'll be blessed, then we're not fulfilling what God or Jesus is asking us to do. So I'll give you an example. Um, my son, Tom, my older son, Tom, is still in India, still living in the slum where we lived for many years. And he's had a, in 2020, was an enormously busy year for him as he responded to COVID. And he kept giving of himself and giving of himself as they did, food distributions, cash distributions, help people get to hospital, would have saved a number of people's lives. Through through his interventions, now many people were saying to him, "Tom, slow down, look after yourself, come back to Australia, you know, protect yourself, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. And he said to me, "Dad, you know, there's a time in life for looking after yourself, and there is, but there's a time in life for going hard and looking after other people, and this is one of those times in life. So I'm just going to go hard, and and you know, he, he it has been difficult for him, but gee, we've been enormously proud of him, and, uh, and he's done a great job."
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's a very admirable thing that you guys did over in India that your son is, is still doing. Now, the interesting thing about looking at this on a, on a political level though, because on a personal level, it makes sense to practice it this way. But as we know, politics isn't personal sometimes. And with politics, it's, it's difficult because at at times what benefits one person is at the detriment of another person, which is ultimately why we're all not on the same page. Like there's different People that vote for different parties that most align with what they believe. So, how is it possible to sort of apply this sort of personal concept at a corporate or government level?
1: Hmm. It's a a great point. Uh, I think probably you've uh, at a government level, it's it's difficult in Australian politics, at least, to argue on on a moral ground. Uh, You know, in the US, people can do that because it's a much more religious society, but. Australia is is a fairly secular society nowadays, so you can't really argue these things on a moral ground as much. But you can argue it on an economic ground, you know. So what I cited in the article is uh, Senator Canavan saying, look, we should exit the Paris Agreement, the Paris Climate Agreement, because uh, it's not benefiting in Australia. Well, that is exactly the same kind of short-sightedness that I uh, would criticise President Trump for. You might get a a short-term gain politically now, but in the long term, it's going to worsen climate change, which is going to worsen the lives of all Australians, Mm. no matter what side of politics they're on. So on those grounds, uh, all right, you're not, not using a moral argument, but you're just simply using, hey, this is going to be better for Australia's economy, it's going to be better for Australia's employment and so forth, if we cooperate with other people rather than compete with them. And I think that's been shown time and time again throughout history, that if we cooperate with others, things work out better. The EU is a great example. So the EU was set up to try to cooperate with each other. Uh, and uh, lo and behold, there have been no wars in, in Europe since the EU was set up. Hmm. It's had enormous benefits for everyone, right? So it wasn't done on, on, on so much on moral grounds. It was done on practical grounds of let's see if we can cooperate. It's going to work for everyone. And it has.
0: What are the... Areas of weakness in the world as far as how countries communicate or work together?
1: It's a great question, Daniel. Uh, There's a number of them, I think. So uh, one that's, you know, very prevalent for Australia is refugees. So I think, you know, we need a very strong framework for how we deal with refugees that every country abides by and we cooperate upon. So rather than leaving it all to, you know, to Greece or Indonesia to pick up uh, the refugees and deal with them. We need a, a system that it, that fairly deals with people who are fleeing for their lives. So that's uh, one area. I'd say another area is on minimum wages. So we see a phenomenon in the world now that where people will go try to go from one country to another to, to earn a better living. But uh, corporations are able to set up their, you know, their, their industries in whatever country has the lowest minimum wage, and that means they're able to uh, exploit people. So many of our friends in India, for example, are working for about $2 a day. Mm. Now, that's barely enough to keep food on the table, let alone save up for a health emergency or for your kids' education or whatever. So I think we desperately need international cooperation across the whole world to say, look, Everybody in the world needs, let's say, $4 a day to lead an adequate life for themselves and their family. That's an absolute minimum. So, we're going to mandate whatever country you're in, you must pay a worker $4 a day for them to at least survive. So, I think that would be a a wonderful area for international cooperation, which would benefit the poor and it would be great for everybody.
0: Mm. Mark, one of the things that you talked about in your article as well is the concept where if if one side doesn't want to co- cooperate and another side does like how how does a, a country like how do you navigate that when there is mm. a willingness mm. to cooperate from mm. one side but there isn't from another side and then it gets mm. complicated what is what do you do yeah. next do you stand firm or do you back away what sort of it's it- a great
1: it's a great question daniel and i think you know jesus has got a lot of uh, wisdom on this so he faced all sorts of situations of uh, injustice where he was willing to care and the other person wasn't. And I think that Jesus would advocate, okay, if you come across uh, somebody who doesn't like you, is your enemy, is wanting to compete with you big time, then rather than compete back, rather than take revenge, and that's exactly what I'm saying in the article that Senator Canavan is ad- ad- uh, advocating, you know, if other countries aren't doing their bit, then we're not going to play ball either. If they are nasty, you be nasty back. I'd say Jesus is advocating something very different. If someone else is nasty to you, not playing ball, not cooperating, then you care for them even more. Mm. And that strategy, rather than, you know, aggravating people, it, it disarms people. And so uh, this, this strategy, I think, has, has been shown to, to work throughout history. So, for example, in India, in the independence movement, Mahatma Gandhi and his followers wanted the British to leave. The British weren't willing to leave. Rather than take up arms and, you know, be really aggressive towards them, they took a non-violent attitude of caring for, in in a sense, the British. And in the end, that disarmed them and they did leave. So I suppose I'm making the point, when someone is being nasty to you, Mm -hmm. the world would say, be nasty back, stick it to them. Whereas Jesus would say, if someone's being nasty to you, you care for them as best as you can, and that's going to disarm them eventually, and they and they will cooperate eventually.
0: It's really an interesting thing that you're suggesting, Mark, because as human beings, on a personal level, we all have egos. And then if you look at a government level, we all have a sense of pride in where we, you know, the turf that we're from. Mm-hmm. And what comes with that is a feeling of protection. We want to protect our, our area. And we also hate to be taken advantage of, which, again, you see at a personal level, but you also see it at a a government level where countries are sort of protecting their own interests. Mm. But just just looking at the personal side of it, is there a time when someone should back away and stand their ground when you're sort of humbling yourself and your interests, but you're also being taken advantage of?
1: It's Again, that's a great question. I think the key question here is, uh, how can we best love God and love our neighbour? And, and Jesus says, you know, when you, when you distill down all of the law and the prophets, it comes to that. How can you love God and love your neighbour? Now, if someone is abusing you or being really nasty to you, let's say there's a domestic violence situation and the, the male is, uh, you know, being violent towards the female. I am not saying, you know, just just take it, just continue to care for him and so forth. I'm saying that when we are being abused, that we need to ask ourselves, okay, what cares for me, but also what cares for the other person? Mm. Now, allowing the other person to continue to abuse or violate is not the most loving thing for them because that's just going to make them even even worse. So sometimes the most loving thing is to stand your ground and say, no, I'm not taking that. Uh, enough is enough. And then, you know, call the police or whatever, whatever. Um, so... I guess what I'm saying is sometimes it is appropriate to stand your ground and not take, uh, you know, being abused or violated or oppressed or whatever. Sometimes that is the best thing. But you can still do that with an attitude of, I want to care for you, the abuser, uh, as best as I can. So I'm still going to do this with, with, with love and with care. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, 100%. I know Christians look at, at Jesus as a source of inspiration for, or, you know, a sort of guideline for how we should behave. Now, are there any examples that we have of Jesus doing either of those things, the, the standing His ground or the, the compassionate side of things? Are there any examples of how He went about these sorts of issues?
1: Oh, absolutely. So, I think, uh, you know, one of the standout ones is how He dealt with the adulterous woman, in the crowd that wanted to uh, to stone the adulterous woman, mm. right? So there, often in these situations where there's an injustice or or, or an abuse or so forth, we think there's only two there's only two responses, right? We think okay, you've either give in or you fight. Mm. You know? our, our psychologists might call that fight or flight, and often we just we get stuck in this mentality that there's only two responses. But I think Jesus is fantastic in that often he comes up with a third response, which is neither fight nor flight. And in this case, it was doing, you know, writing something in the ground and asking a very simple question. He who is without sin may cast the first stone. Hmm. Now, that question caught everybody off guard and it caused everybody to look inside themselves at what kind of person they were. And lo and behold, the people who wanted to stone the woman left her alone. Mm. So, I think that's a, a, a wonderful example of how to diffuse these situations and to see that there's not just two options, fight or flight, but there's often a third option which helps everybody to look inward at themselves. Yeah. So, um, I, I really love that example uh, that Jesus, uh, Jesus said.
0: Mark, just as we finish up, I just want to ask you two more questions. First of all, we all have this facet in our personalities well a lot of people do some people have worked on it others are more challenged by it but we can be very competitive now what's what's some practical ways that we as human beings who struggle with this thing can sort of in those moments when we want to compete with someone rather than cooperate with them what are some steps do you reckon that we can take to sort of humble ourselves and and be more willing to cooperate as opposed to just want to fight against it
1: Mm, it's, a, it's a great question again. I think uh, one fairly practical thing we can do is in those moments, just slow down, you know, slow down and don't react. Mm. Right? Often the, the, our worst in our worst moments we react and that reaction is coming out of, you know, wanting to take revenge or wanting to beat someone or wanting to win. So it's just to slow down, take a couple of breaths, and step back from the situation a a bit and, and ask ourselves, you know, as I look back on this situation in a year's time or in two years' time or at the end of my life, what would I like to have done? Would I like to have beaten this person and won in competition or would I like to have respected this person and found a way that we can compete over this issue? And I think generally if we slow down, take some deep breaths, take a step back and look at it from you know the future looking back we would say actually you know i would prefer to cooperate with this person rather than beat him or her mm. so yeah this this ability to slow down and to reflect i think is absolutely key not just in this area of competition and uh, cooperation but in every area of life where we feel these strong emotions and that i want to react straight away Slow down and stop and think. And that's what we see, actually, back in that story of uh, Jesus and and the adulterers, you know. Everyone's pressing him for for an answer and he's just silent and he squats down and he writes something in the sand that we don't know, but he just takes a moment to think and, and to reflect. So that would be my main advice, I think.
0: It's really interesting because I think you've found the link there between, you know, we're, we're talking about two different things at times throughout this podcast, the the personal level, but then the, the corporate level. But at the same time, it's like you mentioned in your article that if cooperation works to create a better society, especially with an emergency like COVID-19 or climate change, it calls into question the way we inculcate in ourselves and our children the value of competition. Now, that's a very interesting point because that points to society, how the actions of a collective group of people can make a change at a larger level at a government level now mark i just want to ask you then how can we as human beings who want to see change in the world around us who want to see change in how our governments deal with each other what can we do like i mean mark you're doing some great work out there with protesting climate change, with protesting how our refugees are treated, the inhumane way that they are treated. But a lot of people may not be so bold as to be arrested. But what are some other things that we can do to make a difference?
1: So, it's a good question, Daniel. And I think uh, with lots of these things, it's always better to start with ourselves. So, to change ourselves, as my good friend Dave Andrews says, the only person in the world you can actually change is yourself. So with both of these issues of refugees and climate change, I'd say the starting place is yourself. So with refugees, that might simply mean, you know, when you see um, somebody who looks different from you on the bus or out in the street, to be nice to them, to actually say hello, uh, maybe even uh, sit down and have a cup of coffee with somebody. So to, to be nice to people that are in your own life. And with climate change, similarly, the first place to start is with yourself to live a lower carbon life. So that would mean, you know, driving your car a little bit less, eating a bit less meat and so forth. And once we do those personal changes, it gives us a bit more integrity then to act on a bigger level, on a corporate level. And then it gives us a bit more authority to go into a a protest if that's how you choose to, to take this out and to say something with integrity, so, uh, just to reiterate that, on all of these things where we're unhappy with how society is functioning, the first thing to do is ch- change ourselves. And once we do that, then slowly we can build up to starting to challenge the society around us.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Thank you so much for Mark. Some great thoughts to share about what should change at a government level, but also what we can personally do about it. So, some great thoughts there, Mark, and really appreciate that you've joined us again on Signs of the Times radio.
1: Thanks very much, Daniel. I appreciate that. Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Signs of the Times magazine. A subscription is just $26 for 11 issues a year. To find out more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au in Australia or signsofthetimes.org.nz in New Zealand.